On this season, we'll be exploring our bizarre beliefs, unfounded fears, and fantastical thinking, how they shape our psychology and culture, and how much of our past we can find in the present. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American Hysteria. It is getting to be a great effort for me to think straight. Just this nervous weakness, I suppose. What made Solomon so wise? Snake oil! Men of your intelligence don't need convincing. There's some type of electromagnetic thing that we're missing. And that is so true. It's good to take your shoes off and walk in the grass. Okay. I don't know what the <laughs> we talk about. Over the last few weeks, I've been joyfully perusing the website for Gwyneth Paltrow's modern lifestyle self-care brand, which, if you don't already know, and for reasons I decided I didn't care to look up, it's called Goop. Worried about emotionally toxic people? Never fear, you can get a bottle of psychic vampire repellent for just $27. For another $120, you can deal with anxieties and energy imbalances with body vibe stickers. You can get face cream that's been meditated over by a large group of employees, ensuring that the infusion of vibrational love will unwrinkle every burdened brow that can afford it. As annoying and pretentious as Gwyneth Paltrow can be, she is just the newest queen in a long lineage of celebrity medical quackery, hucking fake cures to biological as well as mental illnesses. In addition to bogus cures, we also have a long American history of identifying and pathologizing both biological and mental illnesses that simply don't exist. Ones that said much more about the culture's values at the time than it did about the people who were said to be ill. I joyfully announce that we'll be traveling together to visit my favorite American hysteria villain so far, the good Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, the inventor of sugarless cornflakes, who we learned about in our Poison Halloween candy episode. He was basically the Gwyneth Paltrow of his time, and he ran a fancy-ass rich day spa that catered to the nervous elite, who at the time were all diagnosed with a technology-related anxiety disorder that only affected those of the, quote, thinking class. Whether a behavior is considered normal or abnormal depends on the context surrounding the behavior, and thus changes as a function of a particular time and culture. These diagnoses were used as a way to silence or control certain individuals or groups, used to justify prejudices against women, people of color, queer people, as well as the poor. Whether it was a woman suffering from our precious namesake, Hysteria, or one of the women unlucky enough to fall victim to the America Plan, which saw thousands of women imprisoned because there was a syphilis outbreak in the army or a black man suffering from drapedomania, a mental illness that caused slaves to desire their own freedom. And of course, that nasty disorder of homosexuality, which many of us know was attempted to be cured in some very fucked up ways. In fact, every cure for these social disorders was absolutely terrible. So please be aware of that when you're listening to this episode. These illnesses once defined America, showing who's allowed to suffer beautifully and who had to suffer for their alleged personal maladies. 
For this episode, we're talking quackery in all its forms, from the traveling cowboy snake oil salesmen of the early business boom, to the doctors who were examining lumps in the skull to identify personality traits, as well as where certain people belong in our social order. Vitamins, meats, vegetables, and minerals. <laughs> so why don't you join the thousands of happy puppy people and get a great big bottle of Myometer Amidjamin? <laughs> Remember that name. Myometamidimat. For much of our history, the popular cure for what ails ya was bloodletting, or the draining of the blood to balance what was known then as the humors, or different bodily fluids. Basically, too much blood was the problem, which is absolutely terrifying. Even more terrifying, these procedures were not the jurisdiction of doctors, but instead what was then called barber surgeons, which is exactly what it sounds like. In fact, the red and white striped barber pole as we know it was created to signify that bloodletting took place inside, with the red symbolizing blood and the white symbolizing bandages. Known disgustingly as breathing the vein, bloodletting also took the form of leeches, sometimes applied 50 at a time in shacks with dirt floors known as leech houses. This treatment that certainly killed far more than it helped was most likely the cause of George Washington's death, who asked to be treated with the cure after waking up with a sore throat and fever. The next day, he was drained of more than half of his blood, and he died soon after. As the advancements in science and medicine proved that bloodletting wasn't the cure-all previously thought, it didn't necessarily provide a way forward, and so a vacuum opened up a vacuum of so many medical and psychological problems with so little idea of how to actually fix them. And this vacuum would be filled by the historical Gwyneth Paltrow's of the world, the Dr. Oz's. And in the age of Barnum and Bailey's showmanship, these men were flamboyant cowboy charlatans, traveling from town to town, hucking bogus cure-all medicines and disappearing into the night before the town knew they were duped. The thing that my snake oil tonic won't cure ain't been discovered. Aches and pains, colds, lameness, rheumatism, dandruff, stomachache, headache, toothache, neuralgia, asthma, gout, and baldness. Snake oil peps you up, and it's the thing for whatever ails you. Patent medicine men were putting on the best shows in America, apart from those sexy seances we mentioned in Talking to the Dead. The original snake oil salesman, as these quacksters are still referred to, was a man named Clark Stanley, who liked to call himself the Rattlesnake King, who sold patented snake oil liniment that promised to cure any pain. He invoked the noble savage stereotype in his pitches, saying he learned of this magic cure from the Hopi Indians. Instead, he actually appropriated it from Chinese immigrants who used water snake oil as an anti-inflammatory, which it actually is. However, Stanley's concoction didn't even contain any so-called snake oil, period. But him and the other charlatans who were revealing their miracle products did so with this traveling circus-like vaudevillian show, featuring acts like muscle men, which were basically beefed-up dudes performing feats of strength apparently afforded to them by whatever medicine was being peddled. 
And of course, a finale in which the showman would invite people from the crowd on stage and magically cure them with their patent medicine. But of course, these folks were planted in the audience to limp on stage with a bad leg and then sashay away after just one dose as the crowds screamed for the glass bottles of bullshit or some kind of mixture of alcohol, opium, cocaine, or heroin, some of the most popular ingredients that, hmm, somehow made patients feel a little better after consuming them. There were the famous Pink Pills for Pale People, or PPPP, that was said to cure consumption and anemia. Then there was Radithor, a patent medicine made with distilled radium, leading to a famous socialite named Eben Byers to suffer a death in which his teeth fell out and his bones just started snapping. A Wall Street Journal article so respectfully wrote, quote, The radium water worked fine, until his jaw came off. And just for good measure, strychnine was peddled as an aphrodisiac. One product was called bovinine, which was made of alcohol, beef blood, and salt, which claimed to help with ailments as various as anemia, diabetes, cholera, typhoid, malnutrition, rickets, and nervous exhaustion. One postcard ad for the product showed a woman with her eyes closed and a glass of blood-red liquid next to her. The caption reads, quote, Look on me in my lassitude reclining, my nervous body languid, pale and lean. Now hold me up to where the light is shining, and mark the magic powers of bovinine. When you held the postcard up to the light, and this is hella sick, the woman's eyes open and a ghost of a big steer materializes in the window along with the words, quote, My life was saved by bovinine. Quack doctors also sold some interesting cures for male problems, such as make-man tablets that announced, quote, Iron converts puny weaklings into husky men. One device that targeted impotence was a belt that attached around the waist and then shocked the penis with electricity, with one called Dr. Sandin's Electric Belt and Suspensory for Weak Men but nothing could compare to the real Viagra of the time. That's right, goat testicle implants. For just $750, which is about 10 grand now, men could have goat balls grafted onto their own scrotums. This is true. It all began with a fateful visit in the 1910s to a farm of a patient who claimed to be sexually weak. Dr. John R. Brinkley, halfway joking, pointed at a goat's testicles and said, You wouldn't have any trouble if you had a pair of those buck glands in you. The farmer allegedly replied, Why don't you go ahead and put a pair of goat glands in me? Transplant them. Graft them on. The way I'd graft a pound sweet on an apple stray. After what was determined a successful surgery, the farmer produced a son, and Dr. Brinkley's goat gonad gland graft was born. Boasting a phony degree from one of the many eclectic medicine schools, as they were called at the time, Brinkley also bought a radio station of his very own to spread the gospel of goat ball sacks. He took out tons and tons of ads in newspapers with pictures of himself with that little baby he named Billy, as in Billy Goat, on his knee, and he was known as the world's first goat gland child. Soon the goat balls could also cure the flu, insomnia, and even insanity. 
However, the goat glands were not actually attached to any veins or anything really at all and just kind of hung off the skin, not actually functioning in any way with the body. Dr. Brinkley performed this surgery on thousands of men and even some women, placing the goat glands also inside the testicles or inside the body next to the ovaries. Brinkley traveled to L.A., where he found a very wide clientele of celebrities and well-to-do people, eventually becoming a millionaire with a gaudy mansion and a yacht, and even winning the governorship of Kansas. The American Medical Institute attempted to shut down his dangerous practice, but Brinkley would not go down without a fight. He ranted and raved on his radio station about the American Medical Institute, which he called, quote, the Meat Cutters Union, while a bunch of weak men continued to die from infections. While the common man was attending the lowbrow spectacles of medicine shows, the rich were dealing with their own problems in a different way. Neurasthenia, also known then as nervous exhaustion or appropriately Americanitis, was a condition that U.S. physicians claimed affected wealthy and prominent families, causing such problems as depression, anxiety, fatigue, digestive issues, migraines, and so-called, quote, lack of ambition and sometimes total mental breakdowns. These issues, though frustrating, sometimes are just a part of being human, but rich Americans were convinced that they were all suffering from a medical illness caused by the changes of industrialization and the advent of electricity by the mental exhaustion experienced by those of the class of thinkers, tethered to their existential turmoil, or what was called then, quote, brain work. They believed they held the fate of American prosperity heavy in their hands, and people like politicians, business leaders, inventors, and well-known artists and writers were able to blame their weaknesses, not on their own personalities, but on a disorder that they couldn't control. Suddenly, intentional leisure became a thing. Camping became a thing that was meant to settle the mind and soul in the tranquility of nature. Sound familiar? As this treatment became more and more popular, the desire for brief withdrawals from the stresses of the modern world actually led in large part to the creation of our national parks system, where men were sent to combat this feminine disorder by literally play acting as cowboys, learning to hunt, rope cattle, ride horses, and bond with other men, yipping and yawing in the night, and I'm just going to say it, probably broke back mountaining, or at least slapping each other playfully on the rear. After all, queer poet Walt Whitman was out there at one point, along with Teddy Roosevelt, who before his Wild West cure was known as quite the nervous little dandy. Things were, as usual, a bit different for many women who were slowly beginning to rebel against the oppression of their gender. Neurasthenia may have been this kind of hip disorder, but hysteria, though it was of the same family, was wielded much more as a mechanism of control. Physician Silas Mitchell's rest cure for nervous women was primarily made up of just that. Rest so isolating and boring that it actually drove patients to the point of madness. Often lasting six to eight weeks, women were not allowed to speak to friends or family. Nurses cleaned and turned the patients over, 
fed them by hand, forcefully if necessary, a fatty meat and dairy-based diet, keeping women from reading, writing, sewing, and sometimes even speaking. Doctors administered electroshock therapy and massaged the muscles that were weakening due to extreme inactivity. His rest cure was designed to reduce women to infancy and to, quote, make the will of the male her own. Outspoken women were often the ones who were treated with this rest cure, like writers Virginia Woolf and Charlotte Perkins Gilman, who wrote about her experiences having a mental breakdown in the yellow wallpaper, which some of you may remember reading in high school. These two cures clearly reinforced gender norms, with men shedding any hint of the feminine, indulging in labor in a pastoral yet unconquered American wilderness, and women confined to their homes, bound to the bed, not allowed to write anything that might upset the social order. But there was also another option for these nervous disorders, for those who could afford it. More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat, gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American and Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And now, back to the show. American Hysteria's favorite serial psychopath, John Harvey Kellogg, was a man of 5'4 who always dressed in white with a white goatee. He was a true celebrity of the time, a guru, a sort of cult leader for historical self-care. Hundreds flocked daily to hear Kellogg speak about his theories that candy, tobacco, alcohol, sex, and meat, which he called a tide of gore, were the cause of all ailments, either physical or mental. For the first time as the country was experiencing industrialized food production, Kellogg truly popularized the idea that natural is always better. 
and that establishment medicine was not to be trusted. As mentioned in our Poison Halloween Candy episode, Kellogg was obsessed with two things for his patients, not masturbating ever, 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 and also getting five enemas a day. To make sure the affluent got their precious enemas in spades, the good doctor built an immense, decadent sanitarium, a slight deviation in spelling from the popular sanatoriums that quarantine those with tuberculosis. There were horse-drawn carriages and sleighs, theaters and lecture halls, a full orchestra with nightly dances, and vast fields for playing sports. The sanitarium that was founded in 1876, also known as Battle Creek or simply The San, had a lobby the size of a football field, adorned with crystal chandeliers and an indoor garden featuring banana trees growing 20 feet tall that his patients could pick fresh fruit from whenever they pleased. Some of the most famous people at the time used the services at Battle Creek, including John D. Rockefeller Jr., Thomas Edison, and the Nazi Henry Ford, Amelia Earhart, presidential hopeful Warren G. Harding, and Booker T. Washington. Patients with neurasthenia were massaged, bathed in mud, and stretched on special tables, and Kellogg ordered his patients to produce four or more bowel movements a day. The electrotherapy exercise bed, the mechanical horse, the mechanical camel, the kneading machine in which mechanical mallets beat the bladder and intestines, the colonic machine which shot gallons of water up into the rectum and then after eight ounces of yogurt, the two-person foot vibrator, the four-person foot vibrator, the mechanical slapping massage machine which, yes, was just a bunch of leather straps slapping you all over, the hot air bath, the window tent for fresh air sleeping, sunlight of a thousand candle power was pointed at patients who wore safety glasses. But, as you might have guessed, while the rich were luxuriating in their yogurt enemas and baths made of light, those less fortunate were having mental health diagnoses used against them, plump with the cultural biases at the time that influenced the very quote-unquote science that claimed to be proof. In the years before Kellogg opened his sanitarium, the sizzling conflicts between Confederate and Union armies, between traditionalists and liberal forces were affecting essentially everything in America. Scientists and doctors, regardless of their desire for evidence, were certainly not immune to the racism and sexism that had long propped up the status quo. In fact, it was through doctors and scientists that institutional racism and sexism were given a scientific basis, one that would inform diagnoses used to control minority groups fighting for freedom and deviating from what was expected of them. Charles Darwin's widely accepted but pretty misunderstood theories of the time supported to people the idea that survival of the fittest actually meant killing off those who were not fit enough in order to make a more perfect society. One way this idea became popular was through an import from Vienna. Phrenology was the study of the brain via the skull's shape as read by lumps in the scalp that was said to correspond to all kinds of personal issues and personality traits, as well as the health of different organs. You could tell if someone was intelligent or stupid, lazy or hardworking, had a sickness of the liver or heart, all by feeling around on their heads. 
In fact, popular terms like highbrow and lowbrow and well-rounded all come from this thoroughly debunked pseudoscience. Phrenologists would test couples for their love compatibility and job applicants for the positions they wanted. You could get a whole manual about yourself. It was a lot like a personality test or an astrological chart. But scientists also used it to justify what they already believed in a time where the practice of slavery was being questioned more and more by abolitionists. It was used to claim that black people, based on their brain shape, were predestined to be slaves, required to be under the control of a master. A phrenologist named Samuel Morton also used the practice to claim that there were different species of indigenous people and that by nature they were, quote, adverse to cultivation, slow in acquiring knowledge. Phrenology was used again and again to justify slavery and the submission of indigenous people and the continued snatching of their land and culture to white supremacy. It helped confirm this idea, this idea that had been so central to the culture of America, that the true nature of a person, that their inner self, is seen on the outside. Lower-class people were also said to belong at their social station, and those at the top were also meant to be there, based entirely on the shape of their heads. Another insidious science that grew out from phrenology was eugenics, which for most of us will immediately conjure Nazi Germany. But Hitler took many of his cues from Americans like Henry Ford and John Harvey Kellogg, who worked hard to push the idea of a perfect white race. Remember Kellogg's sanitarium? Well, it was there he created his own Race Betterment Foundation, funded by his cornflakes fortune. This foundation, along with many others, helped create a eugenics registry where people could confirm the purity of their race and secure a place in the hierarchy. It tracked families of immigrants and other minorities and those with mental illness, believing that undesirable traits could be bred out of Americans. Those who were institutionalized were sterilized in outrageous numbers, sometimes without consent while being under for other surgeries. 32 states passed sterilization laws in the 1900s, and 70,000 people were sterilized under them, continuing for many indigenous women all the way until the 1970s. But there was more. In their master's view, black slaves had been put on this earth to serve, and in return, they were provided with food, clothes, and homes. This was a very popular theory of the time, when white people seemed to be baffled by the fact that so many black people were fighting for their freedom. Dr. Samuel A. Cartwright claimed that God said that black people were, by divine proclamation, quote, submissive knee benders. Partially biological, Dr. Cartwright's scientific book said that a condition called genuflexit proved this by demonstrating that black people's knees are more flexible and can bend deeper than any other race. The disorder that he coined was called drapedomania, translated from Greek to mean something like runaway slave and crazy. A similar disorder was also diagnosed sometimes in every black person in a given town. Diathesia aethiopica was said to cause laziness in slaves. Physical evidence of this disorder included, quote, 
lesions of the body discoverable to the medical observer, which are always present and sufficient to account for the symptoms. The doctors never seem to consider the blaringly obvious fact that these lesions, these scars, had come from injuries inflicted by the white slave owners. What Jimmy didn't know was that Ralph was sick, a sickness that was not visible like smallpox, but no less dangerous and contagious, a sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual, a person who demands an intimate relationship with members of their own sex. Of course, homosexuality and transgender identities have also been pathologized by the psychiatric community, with homosexuality only removed from the DSM in the 1970s. Before that, it was encouraged that gay men undergo aversion therapy, in which they were given medicine to either make them vomit or they were shocked electrically on the genitals while being shown pictures of their lovers, or pictures of naked men, or while dressing in women's clothing. After they broke under the sickness and pain, they were relieved of it and subsequently shown pictures instead of naked women or were forced into spending time with hired sex workers or even nurses from the facility. By the time the APA removed homosexuality from the DSM, medical professionals had slowly began to distance themselves from the techniques that had once been embraced toward a more rigorously and truly scientific process. In 2019, there are still many, many snake oil salesmen out there, pushing a slew of natural products, ideologies, and often medical conspiracy theories. We have our modern neurasthenia cult in Gwyneth Paltrow's goop. There are the biofrequency healing stickers that I mentioned before, with the website claiming that, quote, human bodies operate in an ideal energetic frequency, but everyday stresses and anxiety can throw off our internal balance, depleting our energy reserves and weakening our immune system. Body vibe stickers come pre-programmed to an ideal frequency, allowing them to target imbalances. John Harvey Kellogg would be happy to know that enemas are still a big part of goop, and you can also learn how to do a coffee enema on yourself, part of the very popular concept of detoxing. In 2017, Goop posted a story called Better Sex, Jade Eggs for Your Yoni. This is an item that is for sale okay. on Goop, and oh, this oh. is a jade egg. Yes. Now, this is fascinating. Tell us what this does. <laughs> so... The jade egg is an ancient um, Chinese practice where women insert the jade egg in their lady parts. Right. And um, to help tone the pelvic floor. And, and women actually have had incredible results. Um, it's, it, it acts as like a small weight, and so I suppose it tones the pelvic floor. And they say that um, it's good for balancing hormones and all kinds of amazing benefits. Yeah. A lawsuit was filed shortly after as gynecologists warned against the dangers. Do you think that stopped her? Nope. Got parasites? Paltrow's website, in an article titled, You Probably Have a Parasite, recommends a bath of goat milk to draw the worms out. Why? Because apparently these wormy parasites love goat milk and they will climb right out of your body just to get a taste. She even recommends a practice called earthing, which is so similar to what was once recommended to rich people for their Americanitis. Just take off your shoes and go barefoot in the woods. It can cure inflammation, arthritis, insomnia, and depression. 
As for these miracle cures, well, I actually can't fairly sit here and tell you that they don't work, and here's why. We've all heard of the placebo effect, that frustrating part of scientific studies that illustrates how people who think they're getting a drug may experience the expected results. Here's the interesting thing, though. Studies are now finding that placebos actually work, but not in curing disease or healing injuries, not in stopping cancer or heart disease, and not in shrinking tumors, but they can actually help the part of illness that takes place in your brain. Placebos encourage the brain into releasing chemicals like dopamine that act as natural painkillers and can uplift mood. So when you receive something like acupuncture or homeopathy or take supplements or even meditate and practice self-care for yourself, even though science tells us that these things don't actually work, your brain still rewards you for trying. Just like it must have rewarded all those people sucking down snake oil as they cheered on the muscle men and magicians. Just as it must have helped people in the sand as they basked in hot air and suddenly felt their depression lift. But studies have also shown that this is only the case when people go through the ritual of visiting a specialist and receiving a pill or something like it. In the 1980s, there was one study in which patients recently recovering from surgery were given either a secret dose of morphine without their knowledge or a placebo that they were told was a painkiller. Both groups reported the same levels of pain reduction. It reminds me of confirmation bias, which we've talked about a lot, that mental shortcut which makes us all seek out evidence to prove the things we already believe to be true. Confirmation bias was certainly affecting those scientists and doctors as they chronically diagnosed those minorities who were fighting for their own freedom. For centuries, medical practices were just as likely to kill you as they were to help you. And that, along with the obvious prejudices that scientists and doctors employed in their work, led to a widespread skepticism about establishment healthcare. But it's true that slowly, science, psychology, and medicine have been correcting their egregious pasts, basing their diagnoses and medications on rigorous scientific tests without the extreme cultural biases that once fueled their ideas. As difficult and misunderstood as modern psychology still is, no longer are mental illnesses attributed to entire social groups, to women, to black people, to queer people. As stupid as it was, it was phrenology, that study of the scalp, that actually led to the very important modern idea of treating each person as an individual patient, not based in who they were sociologically. That's not to say that establishment medicine and psychiatry still don't have their problematic elements, but at this point, they are truly kind of the best thing we have for combating biological and mental illnesses. But many people still believe that big pharma and evil doctors are hell-bent not only on keeping cures from people, but possibly even producing purposeful harm. We've seen recently the serious consequences of the suspicions and rejections around vital vaccines, with measles outbreaks coming back for the first time in so many years. All for fear that they could cause autism spectrum disorder in children, a fear that has long since been debunked. In our modern age, in a way, 
Doctors are our diviners. They run their unknowable tools across our bodies and brains, and they bring to our consciousness the ways in which we can be rid of pain, both physical and emotional, so that we can continue to live and live well. It's no wonder that these people who truly hold our lives and our happiness in their hands have become suspicious characters, especially as they become more and more entangled with the corporate medical machine. As vitally important as science is, and as much as I believe it is always the best way forward in improving the world and our health, it's also undeniable that it holds inside of it a dark and exclusive history, one that has certainly and rightfully encouraged Americans to seek alternatives. There is still a vacuum in the medical community because there are so many things we still don't know how to cure, like the common cold. I hate to tell you, but those high doses of vitamin C that we've all been taking, no scientific basis. But just like the past, there are plenty of people ready to flood that vacuum with their miracle products. I don't know how to solve the mess that is America's healthcare system, but I do know that turning toward our modern snake oil salesmen, turning towards celebrities with miracle cures is not the way forward, no matter how good-looking and jubilant and admirable these people might seem. If it promises you a medical miracle, it's most likely bullshit. And now, a dreamboat boy from the 1990s, Devin Sawa of Casper fame, of Now and Then fame, of Wild America fame, of Idle Hands fame, and of course, his most important film of all time, Final Destination, is the one saying what needs to be said. He recently tweeted, quote, I'm an actor that no matter how big I was, am, or will ever be, I will not let my head swell so big that I think I can give medical advice to people just because people listen. I say lines and hit marks. I don't save lives. Regardless, Netflix has recently greenlit a full season of a brand new show. It's called Goop. From Skylark, this was American Hysteria. Next time on the show, we talked a lot about celebrities in this episode, but what we didn't talk about is the cult of celebrity itself. In two weeks, we'll cover the gossip, we'll cover the scandal, and we'll cover how celebrities became so important to our national psychology. American Hysteria is written, produced, and hosted by me, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Assistant produced by Derek Smith, Produced and edited by Clear Camo Studios, with voice acting by Will Rogers, and research assisted by Riley Smith. As always, join us next week for our mini-episode on something called Parrot Fever. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and make sure that you get all those worms out of your body with a nice goat milk. It's that kind of self-care that can really make you feel better. An ancient Chinese practice. Consuming goat glands. Mm. Somehow made patients feel a little better. Consume goat glands. Consume goat glands. It's good for all kinds of amazing benefits. Put a pair of goat glands in me. Right.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com